Give me a slim to take your Bibles if you have them today and turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. We were there last Sunday and I want to take you back there today as we journey through this book. The theme of Habakkuk is, is God in control of history? We learned that last week. Is God in control of my life? Hopefully you have understood that. If not, then uh, understand it this more today uh, as we look at this text today. Habakkuk chapter 1. And I want to start in verse 12 here in just a second. And today's message is entitled, When God's Plan Involves Adversity. We realize that everything that God does for you and for me and for all of His children is good. It's good in His eyes, although at times we may not quite understand it. What if God's plan for your life tomorrow was for you to walk into your place of employment and find out you no longer have any employment. Some of you have been there. What if that's God's plan? Some of you as a young couple, and maybe if you've already been there, several of you have. If not, maybe some of you may go this direction in the future. God may, uh, as young couples expecting children, uh, may go through the adversity of a miscarriage. What if that's God's plan for your life? What if that's God's plan for your marriage? Some of you today may be in a great financial strain. For some, that may be God's plan for you in the future. And you wonder, why is God and His plan leading me into adversity? These are questions that none of us really want to ask. These are questions that none of us really want to answer In fact, these are questions that for many we ask, but we don't have the answer to them. Why does God's plan sometimes lead to adversity? Habakkuk lived in a time in the past of great revival during the King Josiah. Much revival was taking place in the land of Israel, but during this time as he's writing Habakkuk, it is in a spiritual decline. And Habakkuk is crying out to God, asking for one thing. He's asking for revival again. And God's plan for the nation of Israel was not revival. God's plan was to send the Babylonians, a heathen nation, to go and to execute God's judgment on the land of Israel. That was not what Habakkuk was praying for. That was not what Habakkuk wanted in his life. But God's plan for the nation of Israel was adversity. So when God's plan involves adversity, what are some things that we can do as children of God? For many children of God, when God's plan leads to adversity, we withdraw. Almost even to the point where some, we leave the church. And we say things, if God is good, then He wouldn't have this in my life. And as long as this is going on in my life, I choose not to praise Him. I choose to to go in different directions and we withdraw. Sometimes even leave the church, drop out of church activities, pull back into a spiritual corner. We become bitter. All the time, God is trying to make us better. So I want to challenge you this morning, but also encourage you through your word, that when God's plan involves adversity, what do we do? How do we handle those problems in life? Habakkuk chapter 1, follow along with me starting in verse 12. The Bible says, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. 
Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with the hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their snare is sumptuous and their food plentiful. They shall therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity. I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. When God's plan involves adversity. First thing I want you to see this morning is in your life, when adversity comes... And I want to fill in that blank with four things. When adversity comes, somebody has said this, you're either in a storm right now, or you just came out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. So adversity hits home with every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes, the first thing is this, be still. When adversity comes, be still. How many times has your life changed all of a sudden and we get so bent out of shape over a situation, a tragedy, a circumstance, an illness in our life? And yet the first response for a believer when adversity hits, be still. Be still. Most of us have a tendency to speak first and not think but for Habakkuk, although he was a great writer, he did not write a whole lot. There's only three chapters. And between the end of chapter 1 and the beginning, excuse me, the end of chapter 1, verse 11 to the beginning of verse 12, you can sense that he stops. And although he's praying, what, what God answers is not what he's praying. And there's a situation that he can't avoid, that there, his nation that he's a part of is about to be judged by the hand of God from a heathen nation, the Babylonians. And he just wants to be still and to think about it. The writer of Psalm 46 says it like this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth, who makes wars cease to the ends of the earth, who breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be Still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. When adversity comes, be still. Jesus says it like this, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. You realize that worry is a sin. 
Worry is a sin because when we worry, we can't trust at the same time. When we worry, we can't be still at the same time. And the writer here, Habakkuk, when adversity comes, we, we stop and we think we are still and we put it in God's hand. But the second thing is this, not only to be still, but to hold fast, hold fast to your foundation. Did you see what Habakkuk said in verse 12? He asked this question, but he's really reminding God who He is and and reminding Himself who God is. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, You have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, You have marked them for correction. You remember last week in verse 11 and verse 10, as as Habakkuk is writing, and he's writing God's answer to him, how great and how mighty the Babylonians are. How they will go and conquer land that is not even theirs. Verse 10 says they scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. This is a massive, massive army. And Habakkuk, as he gets to verse 12, says, Are you not from everlasting? See, he, he, in this situation, when adversity comes, he holds fast to his foundation. Babylon may have a great and mighty army, but Habakkuk has a great and mighty God. And he asked him, he says, are you not from everlasting? And, and, and if you are the everlasting one, then even though Babylon may be great, their God is an idol. You're the only one that's from everlasting. Friend, let me encourage you this morning that when, invite, when adversity comes, that you be still and you hold fast to your, to your foundation, which is in a God and a Lord Jesus Christ who is from everlasting. He must have reminded himself that Jehovah God was before anything that came into existence and would be here long after the Babylonians invaded the land of Israel. You know, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what adversity you've been through, that you're going through, or that you will go through. But God has always been here. He's here today, and He will be here long after your adversity. He is the the, the adversity. He is the everlasting one. But the Bible also says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. Notice these these characteristics that Habakkuk is confessing to God. Not only is He everlasting, but He is the Holy One. This is the most important characteristic of God in all the Bible. There are many characteristics of God. He is mighty. He is faithful. He is just. He is true. But the one that's most important in the Bible is holy. Why, Brother John? Because once in the New Testament and once in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4, the only characteristic in the Bible repeated three different times is holy, holy, holy. Isaiah said it when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the scene in heaven, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And Habakkuk, as he's confessing, as he's holding fast to his foundation, says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. The holiness of God means that God is perfect and that everything God does is perfect. So Habakkuk says, God, if you want to send the Babylonians, I don't understand it. I don't want it. I'm not praying for it, but you are the Holy One. And everything you do is absolutely perfect. So I will hold fast to my foundation in the middle of this adversity. Some of you today need to hold fast to that. 
that God is causing adversity to come in your life to use you as a testimony of God's holiness to a sinful and dying world. That's why God leads us many times through adversity is to proclaim the holiness of Almighty God. But the second part of verse 12 says, O Lord, You have appointed them for judgment. He is from everlasting. He is holy. But also the foundation that we must hold to is the sovereignty of Almighty God. God says, You've appointed. Lord, it was Your idea to send the Babylonians to conquer the land of Israel. God could have done anything He wanted to. God could have took the nation of Israel and just wiped them off the face of the earth. God could have sent a plague. God could have sent the Red Sea. God could have made the Nile River dry up. God could have done anything, but through His sovereignty and through His judgment, He chose the Babylonians, raised them up, caused them to come and to conquer the land of Israel. God is sovereign. God's plan is greater. I don't know if you ever heard this before, maybe recently in a sermon, I don't know, but God always has been, God is today, and God always will be in control of history. So hold fast to your foundation. And then he says in the last part of verse 12, the fourth characteristic, he said, Oh, rock, you have marked them for correction. The rock here is a picture of His faithfulness. God is a place of security for His people. A rock provides firm footing Sometimes we go through adversity because the only thing that will make you stand through life's toughest times is the rock of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold fast to your foundation. But then a third one is this. No, do you want to be still? Hold fast to your foundation. But apply your foundation to your adversity. Apply your foundation to your adversity. When I was going through seminary, we, we, uh, several of our classes, they taught us all kinds of things about the Bible. And, and oftentimes we would have to either preach or uh, speak or write a paper on some of the most difficult passages in the Bible. I don't know why they did that. I guess to show how ignorant us preachers were and how smart the professors were. But we always enjoyed that and we enjoyed studying and, and we came to the conclusion on many passages in Scripture that nobody on this earth knows the exact meaning. We're just going to trust and believe God by faith and walk in faith. But for many, to, to, to cover a difficult text in the Bible, the best thing to do is to look at the context or to interpret the Bible in the best way possible for what God intended is to preach and to teach and to write in the context of all that has taken place. How many of you have heard the verse, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst. We've said that many a times as it comes to prayer. Maybe we've said that on prayer meeting. Uh, and we've said, you know, there's two or three here. Maybe you've said that in your Sunday school class or your Bible study. Hey, where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, I will be with them in the midst. And we talk about prayer. And that's a great, you can apply it that way. And you can, you can, you can um, uh, uh, divide it up that way. But do you understand the context of where that's at in the Bible? Jesus is not up on a mountain saying, now guys, when you gather together, let's come together and let's pray. And if there's at least two of you there, then I'm going to be there in the midst. What about if you're only there by yourself? Does your prayer count? So the text is not trying to get two or three to come in there and pray. The context of that scripture is in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus talks about church division. How when someone has wronged you, you go to them. 
And if you have not, they have not repented. You have not won your brother. You go and take two or three. And if there's still not repentance, then you bring that matter up before the church and you ask the church what they want to do and to, to go through a matter of church discipline. And Jesus says, because where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be in the midst. So that text, although it's not really a difficult text, sometimes it's out of context. You look at it through the picture of context. Adversity is the text of your life. But you have to look at that adversity through the context. Just like Matthew 18 teaches us what that one verse says, the context of your life, that God is everlasting, God is holy, God is our rock, God is faithful, God is sovereign. The context of who God is defines the text of where you're at. So you're going through adversity today. Life is, is turned upside down. And someone says, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to make it? You're, maybe you're asking that question. How am I going to make it? What are we going to do? How am I supposed to pray? You look at that text of what you're going through in the context to say, I don't know, but I know God is mighty. God is faithful. He is my rock. He is sovereign. That He is in control of everything in my life. And I will want to put what, what I have, uh, the, the foundations of my life, and put that into our adversity. It will change everything that you know about life. That's why when life is turned upside down, you can have a perfect peace in the middle of it all. Habakkuk was trying to do that. He's on the verge of his nation being under the judgment and the hand of God. And he's applying the foundation. In fact, verse 13, all the way through the end of the chapter, he, he, he uh, confesses and confirms the foundation of God into this adversity that he is facing. But then there's a fourth one. If adversity comes... And you are still, and you've applied your foundation, you've, you've held fast to your foundation, you've applied that foundation to your adversity. And if there's still doubt, just trusting. Just trusting. And that leads me to my second point. How do you just trusting. How many of you have ever spilled your heart out to somebody? And their response is, just trusting. You're like, no, that's not what I was looking for. I mean, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. Just trusting. So what I want us to do as we get to chapter 2 in these last three verses this morning... Habakkuk, I believe, defines what it means just to trust Him. Because he was still, he held fast to his foundation, he, he, he applied those foundations, but it wasn't enough. There was something else more that he needed. And there's more in your life that you need than to just trust Him. So what does it mean just to trust God? The first one is this, is to step away from the problem. Step away from the problem. Look what he does in verse number 1 of chapter 2. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am, I am corrected. The, the first part of verse 1 is a picture of a watchtower. 
In the Old Testament, a watchtower was often built in a grain field or a vineyard to provide a place for a guard to keep an eye on the harvest. It could also be a tower in the city or on the walls of the city from which a watchman could keep a sharp eye out for the enemy. I believe that's the picture in this passage where he's on the wall of a city looking down on to see when the enemy's going to come. Guess who's coming to the nation of Israel? The Babylonians. And Habakkuk steps back, climbs up in a watchtower, and he watches. Instead of being right there in the valley, in the middle of his problem, he steps away from the actual problem and sits on a watchtower. To just trust God means to step away from the problem. So, Brother John, why? It, it, it consumes me. Exactly. So you step away from it, go up in a watchtower, in your spiritual watchtower, wherever that may be, and leave the problem and leave it to God and let Him handle the issue. Just trust Him. But for you to trust God, you've got to get out of the way. So when adversity comes, wherever it may be, the quicker you can step back and say, God, this is yours. I just simply trust you in it. I'm going up to the watchtower. And I'm stepping away from the problem. The best way to keep from worrying is to go to the watchtower. If Habakkuk was worried, he would have been right at the gate. Standing right in the middle. Instead, he leaves. And he goes up in a watchtower. And says, so God, God, I'm just, I'm just going to trust you. So how do you just trust, trust Him? You, you step away from the problem. You, you step away from the adversity. The tower is something set apart from or it detaches from the common press of life. Get away from it. Do you have that place where you can go? When adversity comes, you say something like this. Honey, I just need to go driving. Honey, I need to go to the lake. I need to go to the deer stand. Ladies, you may say, I need to go shopping. I need to get away from something and, and just let God take care of that because God is in control of everything. God is from everlasting. He is holy. He is sovereign. He's your rock. Get out of the problem. He knows about it. And He will help you through it. Step away from the problem. And then number two, what Habakkuk does, he says, I will stand my watch and I will set myself on the rampart. And notice what he does. And I will watch to see what He, God, will say to me. You have to step away from the problem, but then number two, you have to listen for God's answer. How does God speak to you? Through His precious Word. So when you go away, when you're up on the watchtower, you're not just up there saying blues and despair and agony on me. You're not singing the hee-haw song. What you're doing is you're reading God. Y'all know what He... Y'all remember He... Okay. We'll talk about that after, after the service. I don't remember what he helped. So is what you're doing is you're reading God's Word. And you're saying, God, you are sovereign, you are holy, you are everlasting, you are my rock. You've always been in charge of history. You're in charge of history today. You will always be in the future. You're in charge of my life. Everything good and perfect comes down from the hand of God. God, I need your answer of why I'm going through this Adversity. Who in my life 
needs to see a picture of God's holiness? Who in my life needs to see a picture of the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who in my life needs to see someone walk on water even in the midst of a storm? Who in my life needs to see lions with their mouths shut and me standing in the middle of a lion's den? Who needs to see a fiery furnace and three Hebrew teenagers walk through unharmed and unbound? Who in my life needs to see someone being stoned to death and the Lord Jesus standing up and welcoming Stephen into the presence of God? Who in my life needs to see more of who God is? So you step away from the problem and then you read God's Word and you say, God, why am I going through this? Speak to me through your word. So if in still doubt we trust him, how do you trust him? You step away, you listen for God's answer. That's what he did. He stepped back and he watched and he saw. And notice what God said in verse 2. Then the Lord answered and said, Write. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. If still in doubt, trust him. Step away from the problem. Listen for God's answer and then live for the eternal. Live for the eternal. God sends adversity to get our focus off that which is temporal and could be gone tomorrow to put our focus on that which is eternal and will last all the way through. And for God to send him back, he says, I want you to write something. There's a, there's a vision that is coming. It is for an appointed time. And those that read it will run to be able to read it. And it will not lie, though it tears. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tear. God says, I am about to do something that you've never seen. And it is for your purpose. And it is for your good. Guess what happened to the nation of Israel after the Babylonian invasion? Revival. Revival. Some of you can today stand and testify that you went through life's hardest adversity in your life, but today you're in revival. And the only reason why you're in revival today is because of the adversity that you went through years ago. And some of you today are may be in that adversity. And what God is trying to teach you, what God is doing is not trying to punish you and not trying to see how big and how mighty God is in your life. What He's trying to show you is that eternity is all that matters. And to take our focus off that which is eternal and put our, I mean, which is temporal and put our focus on that which is eternal because that's what the world needs is to see a God who is everlasting, a God who is sovereign, a God who is our rock, a God who is faithful, and a God who is holy. Live for the eternal. Ten years ago today, at this very moment, Elizabeth and I said goodbye to our daughter. Today was her funeral, April the 10th, 2006. New Albany, Mississippi. Sometimes God takes you through adversity to humble you, 
and to take you through moments that you don't understand in, in life. And for a young preacher boy, three years out of seminary, trying to do all that he can for the glory of God, that God needed to make that boy be still. God needed to remind that preacher boy to hold fast to his foundations. God needed that preacher boy to apply those foundations to a situation that he had more questions than answers. God needed that young boy to learn just how to trust Him. And one of the hardest things to do over the last ten years was just trust God. Because I had told people in ministry, just trust Him. But what for many don't know is we're trying to live it just the way you are. Just trust God. We had to step back because they didn't teach us how to go through adversity in seminary. Many would say, well, God will bring you through this. Well, it's ten years. And you don't ever get through it. God comforts you in the midst of it. And the through will never be ended until you see Jesus face to face. But when you step away and you expect God's answer, God reveals to you a passage in Isaiah that you've read all your life. You even preached a sermon on it in the first church this young man pastored. But sometimes when you open up God's Word, it just jumps off the page. And the Bible says, Isaiah 26, verse 3, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Throughout the last ten years, Elizabeth and I have ministered to many families who've lost young children. And although we have sat down and we've said, it's a difficult situation. I don't know why God allows that to happen. But I said, this is what I want to leave with you. He gives him perfect peace. Those who trust in him because they believe in him. When God sends adversity, know that it's for your good. And it's to use as a platform for a nation around you that needs to see Jesus. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I pray that if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, maybe you're in through adversity and God's leading you today to that foundation, which is Jesus. That foundation that can only be found through a personal relationship with Him. And you may not have that relationship and God may be leading you today to come. In just a moment, we have an invitation. I want you to come. By you coming, you're saying, Brother John, I want to give my life to Jesus. I need a foundation to rest my life on. So when the storms of life comes, my feet are settled in the gospel of peace. Now, Christian, now, what about you? You can't say this morning, Brother John, everything's cool in my life. It may be. 
But storms come and storms go. And when adversity comes and if God's plan for your life is adversity, use it as a testimony for Almighty God. Maybe this morning Habakkuk spoke straight to your heart from what God told him of how to walk through adversity. Father, we love you today. God, I pray for this invitation. Those who are lost who need to come to know you today. Those who need to make other decisions, maybe to be a part of this church fellowship. Or something else, God, you may be speaking to their heart. God, there may be those who just need to come and to pray. And to put their adversity, lay it at the feet of Jesus, lay it at the altar, step away from it. And say, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear from you, to see how you're going to speak through me. How you're going to speak to me in the middle of my pain. Father, we love you in Jesus' name.